outside. Jeff Smith, he didn't get there. Fumbles the football. Oklahoma takes over. And what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU podcast live uh, as a podcast can be live (laughs) from Vanessa House, our favorite brewery, downtown Oklahoma City, 10th and Broadway, where Keegan is enjoying, is it a destination wedding by the looks of that lime? It is. It is. It's a, I figured with the warm weather as of late, not today, kind of feels nice out today. It's dreary. I think it, like, it's one of those weird days, it's like post rain in the spring when it's cloudy because it just all evaporates. I love it's getting it. Getting all nerdy. But anyways, regardless, I, th- I think it, I think it's great outside. Like this, this, this is a lot better than going from 60 to 30. Like yep. this was 80 to 55. 50 maybe like that's pretty nice it's perfect and it's perfect for any type of beer whether it's a stout a cerveza a lager which by the way vanessa has a brand new lager called the land party l-a-n party and i had it a few days ago keegan and surprisingly i don't even think i've had any of their lagers except for this one it was very good very it tasty. was good i had i do my own my sample as i always do no i enjoyed it i i think that it's like a little more strong, hoppier than the '89 lager, right? Like, I oh th- yeah, I think I think you get that sense. It's a little more, I don't know, not as much of a light beer, I guess, so to say. But yeah. I think it's it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I, I I typically get the '89, but at the end of the day, I've got the cerveza. No, I mean that's just we've talked about this, right? Like that's just Mexican for beer. So why <laughs> why do we? I don't know. Anyways, it has re- a lime in it. Anyways, regardless, it's great. I love it. I also love my. Uh, we didn't do slush funds tonight. We need to do a slush fund podcast again. Those were. Uh, I don't remember them. That's well, gonna. That's, that's not good. It's good and good in a bad way. But I mean, with the state of Oklahoma kicking ass in how things kicking are going, ass. Um, vax vaccinations and all that all that fun stuff that no one wants to talk about on a sports podcast. Um, the likelihood that we're all able to have fun, hug each other, kiss each other in public, like at a place like Vanessa house, it's getting better and better every day. And Keegan, like I said, on Tuesday on the Patreon pod on through the keyhole, uh, which you can of course subscribe to if you so choose. Um, I did get vaccinated yesterday and my left arm uh, does not hurt by any means. It's not sore except for the entry point. Never got sick. Thankfully, feel great now one step closer to hopefully being able to go to concerts and going to full capacity stadiums which is going to be great we'll get into that a little bit it is going to be great i i think like you get the announcement from the uh how do i say this like i know we're not going to get into the whole responsibility part of everything but I think that like Oklahoma's doing 25% capacity. The Thunder aren't allowing any fans. You go south of the uh, Red River and it's, <laughs> it's open chaos. range. It's open <laughs> range down there. But at the end of the day, though, like we're at a point to where the whole with vaccine rollout, like POTUS today saying that by May 1st, he, every adult's going to be eligible for one. So I mean that puts us in great like in terms of projection towards the fall like that puts us in a great spot please please god so hopefully we can all do that have fun at vanessa house in the near future Uh, but if you so choose come check it come check us out on thursdays uh that's keegan renault and myself brady trantham the hosts of the inside ou podcast which finally cracked 100 ratings and reviews thank you all so very much really appreciate that when i asked everybody to do so what two two and a half weeks ago we only had 86, 87 reviews, and in two and a half weeks, cracked the hundred. So, hey, 
That is all up to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for continuing to listen. Even in the offseason when there's not that much to talk about, like, um, oh, here's a big talking point. Bob Stoops joins Fox. Uh, that was something we talked about on Tuesday for 20 minutes. So um, we're getting closer and closer to spring football. Uh, we're watching Oklahoma maybe coming back against Kansas. They're down 40 to 28, and they just threw the ball away. So that's how that, that's how it's going to go in my mind because I'm going to turn around, look back at Keegan. I was I was giving Brady the wide eye of I said if they get it under 10 with 10 minutes to go, they may have a chance at this. It's a 12 point game. No, we'll we'll get into the Big 12 at the end, but I. Uh, it is definitely interesting. We'll let this game in before we talk about it any oh further. God. So, uh, Keegan, on Thursdays, as we've been trying to remember to do, I think we failed the f- – not the first time. It was the first time we actually did the question. The second time that we were supposed to do it, we forgot totally about it. But we've been a little bit better at remembering our Thursday trivia questions. So, the floor is yours, Mr. Renault. So, since 2000, the joke is, right, that Texas plays in a bunch of Alamo Bowls, correct? Oh, they yes. win a bunch of them. They remember the Alamo. They do. They definitely do. Um Texas education, right? Anyways, we talked about this before coming on, and we'll get into the discussion about what we heard this week from some more national writers in Oklahoma, which we love to get into. And we discussed this, that between 1978 and before Mac Brown was hired, so 1997, that's 20 years, Brady. Texas wasn't that good. They were had a chance to peak and win a conference title. It looks like they won five of them. You know, looking four of them at during this five of them during this time. But looking at looking at their win loss records in that time, it really just reminds me of a football version of a long Kruger team where every two or three years they're average and then they get a bunch of seniors on that third or fourth year and they win like a handful of games and then they go right back down to square one the next two to three years. It's just a whole bunch of that. They're never terrible. But they're woefully average, and they have like, oh, a nice little cotton bowl back in those days, years, and they go back down to square one. During that time frame, because we're discussing basketball at the end, I think I heard that right. Anyways, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Anyways, Texas played in three Sun Bowls, which has been a bowl game that's been around for a long time. Oh, boy. They also played in three other bowl games, and that was the second to tied for the most appearances in this bowl game. Name me the other bowl game. No, I don't believe it exists. Is it the Blue Bonnet Bowl? It is the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Yes. It is. And it was a game played. Take that, Dad. Hosted by Rice. And I believe it was played at the The Astrodome. Yeah. OU's played in the Blue Bonnet Bowl, I think, twice or maybe just once. I can't remember if that was the game they tied Alabama. They played Alabama in the Blue Blue Bonnet Bowl. And I think JFK. No, JFK went to the Orange Bowl. Excuse me. Uh, but take that, Dad. My history knowledge does matter, even though, just like whose line is it anyway, the points in this trivia game are absolutely made up. And they don't matter. And so I'm back to uh, just like Texas in the Makovic era and the Fred Akers era, I'm back to square one. <laughs> but, you know, Keegan, OU Texas, it's on our minds. It always Th- is. Thanks to you but by, pro- by way of somebody else. Well, kinda. I mean, you're the one who showed, like, who brought it to my attention. Oh, well, yes. The rather hyperbolic take. Rather hyperbolic, and I don't think I could do a do it justice to set it up. But I will say, and I said this to you the other day, Brady, and you know this, and you know this really well about me, is that I'm at a point now to where like Oklahoma's outcomes. Regardless, like, it d- doesn't bother me here nor there. Texas, I don't care. 
at all. But when we start talking about shit like this, and I just think people are misinformed about just where Oklahoma is currently at as yep. a football program. Well, and that's where I will leave. I will set the stage for you. And I will leave my thoughts till I'm till you're done. Well, I'll let you. I'll actually let you set the stage since you were actually listening to the podcast that we're talking about coming into Vanessa House, our favorite brewery in Oklahoma City. Um, and then I'll, I'll Eighth Street, yeah, Eighth Street and Broadway. Okay. Um, and I will deep dive into the into the either you like the history or you're like Lee Benson, our friend from West of Everest, who hates any type of sports history, and you can just skip through this coming part. But okay, so you're talking about. Ari Wasserman on Andy Katz's podcast, Andy, right? Andy Staples. Andy Staples. Andy yes. Katz covers basketball. I believe really this is a podcast on The Athletic. There you uh, go. Um, Ari Wasserman is a former Ohio State, and that remember that. It's going to be an important part of this conversation. He's a former Ohio State beat writer, now covers, I believe, recruiting for The Athletic. Big Stars Matters guy, which we were we, we obliged by that thinking on yeah. this podcast. And this will it'll make sense once you go a little further. And um, so they get into this conversation where they've been doing, you know, typical offseason fodder of which job is better. And they get to the Big 12. And it's the first thing to discuss on this podcast. And immediately off the top, um, they basically, who is your one and two? Because it's apparent who's one and two in the Big 12. And Ari Wasserman says, with, didn't even think about it, Texas. Now, is he talking about going into the 21 season? or oh, for best, best job for the next five years. Okay. And you've got to understand part of this is, I think we're going to get into this, is there's truth to a little bit of what he's saying, but the major facts lie in the other direction. And, you know, one of the biggest things that he immediately talks about is, you know, Texas, it could be a recruiting juggernaut. Uh, could they be, could, could do this. They could, 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 could. That that's the way you could say about Texas. And I think that's an important point before we go a little bit further into this. Is when you say something like a hyperbolic scenario of like, what job is better for the next five years? And you look at Oklahoma and you look at Texas and you try your best to mentally picture yourself like if you are a coach, where would you rather go? Oh, you were Texas for the next five years. It's hard to really take yourself away, even though you're trying to, away from what is going on right now. So Oklahoma is way closer to its ceiling as it stands than Texas is. Texas can't even sniff their ceiling right now, whereas Oklahoma can see it in sight. We've talked about for the last four months about how 2021 is going to be the year that OU should probably play in a national championship and pretty much win it with the talent they have, the experience they have coming back, Alex Grinch in this defense, all those things. So having said that, OU being closer to their ceiling makes them less, oh, fun because Texas being further away from their ceiling makes it all the more enjoyable to go like, oh, this could happen or this could happen. So it goes back to the could, could, could stuff. So there's less could with OU and way more could with Texas. Therefore, I can see an outside perspective just going, oh, I'd rather like Texas is a better job for the next five years. Also stated that they could be a program that could dethrone Alabama someday. Okay, um, they could. There's they, that magic word again. They, you know, biggest landing point too is you know Oklahoma's not. They do not have elite defensive ta- defensive line talent. Um, that te- Texas is a more physical football program. Um, they lay out the picture 
Not they. Not not Andy. Andy's safe from this conversation. <laughs> Kinda. Um, the thing they basically that Ari lays out is what the conversation is right now, right? To what we we're all seeing that Texas has. This is a uh, under ten point game, Mister Trantham. Anyways, regardless, I uh, <laughs> I think that you look at it and there's just I think again a miss conception of who Oklahoma is at this point and you know you look at recruiting rankings right like we don't look at recruiting rankings on the on its surface right like we look at BCR we look at average star rating we get into a more deeper look at this and I just think that again that like how do I say this it's made me feel even stronger about the idea of supporting local newspapers and media because damn it like this is now the second podcast, and not and this is not just the only four that we've talked about, but this is like the second, third, fourth time this offseason where we've just heard this really weird like stance on Oklahoma. And it's it's an ongoing storyline that I mean predates any type of Oklahoma talk, um, you know, prior to like the 2003 season when you know OU plays in a national title and they lose and they lose again in 04, 08. And they get the playoff in 15, 17, 18, 19, and they don't win any of them. So, like, in the modern era in terms of the last 20 to 30 years, like, yes, Oklahoma has a rather – they get there, but they're not as elite as the other teams, and then they choke whatever reputation. And Texas is always just a brand, an icon, in that they're located in Texas. They have all this money. They get all the recruits they want, even when they're bad. And we know this now. <laughs> I mean, they – they progressively got worse under Herman, and yet they still recruited fairly well, a little bit better than they probably should have if they were located in Lubbock or if they were located in Stillwater. Like, they're not recruiting that well if they're not in Austin with those resources. So it's just a, it's an ongoing story that predates anybody alive right now as in terms of Oklahoma and Texas, and that's kind of where I wanted to start because anytime this, this question comes up, it just essentially becomes – what program is better? Is it Oklahoma or Texas? And you can look at a number of different factors. You can look at the head-to-head, which is probably the easiest thing to go to, and you see that um, Texas is winning like 62-49. to 49. Um, So they have control of the series head-to-head, of course. But there's nuance to everything, you know. Now... Let me indulge, and I'm going to pause. So, everybody, if you don't want to, if you want to skip over all the all the numbers, all the history, got about four minutes. Guys. <laughs> You've got four minutes. I'm kidding. No, I'm no. sure it'll go fast. I'm going to try my my best. One, two, three. Oklahoma became a national power in 1946. They existed in the 1890s all the way up until that point, of course, just like the Texas Longhorns did. Uh, but both schools were not national powers. Like in those times, it was Yale, Harvard, Army. Notre Dame, like a bunch of schools that, except for Notre Dame, that aren't good at football anymore. Like they're not football schools by any means. They're not football powers. It was a completely and utterly different era of college football. But even still, Texas had much better success than Oklahoma did. Oklahoma would have flashes, like they'd have one year or so where they were fairly good regionally, but nothing would be sustained. Like the money wasn't there. The enthusiasm just simply wasn't there just yet. Um, But 1946 is very important mainly for OU uh, because that's when they hired Jim Tatum who only coached OU for a year but what's important about him is he brought Bud Wilkinson on who then took over the following season and then OU became an absolute national power now before that year 
And the reason why I'm going to use 1946 as kind of the starting point here is for two reasons. One, like I said, Texas had much higher success. And in fact, they had two years prior to 1946 where they were voted national champions by a handful of publications. So if they wanted to pull an Aggie, Texas could, you know, they could on paper claim 1914 or 1941 if they so chose. So they were at a much higher level of success than OU was. And also number two... In 1936, the AP poll got implemented, so rankings became more uniform, easier to follow, easier to reference, and that's basically the beginning of the early period, the early modern era of college football. And 1946, not just for OU, is also important because that's, of course, the year after World War II ended, which everybody that follows the sport basically has this gentleman's agreement that Post-World War II is the modern era of college football, so it, it's more recognizable. The passing game gets implemented. Uh, there are NCAA restrictions as to, like, style of play, recruiting. You know, it just becomes more recognizable and a little bit easier to follow, the like, from 46 on. So 46 is going to be the year that I use to compare both programs. So OU... In 1946, ended the the season. This is just kind of further the point home about the difference between OU and Texas up to that point. OU finished the 46 season um, ranked number 14. That was the fourth time that they had ever been ranked. So in 10 years of the AP poll, they'd only been ranked four times, whereas Texas had been ranked six times. So relatively close, but Texas's ceiling was a little bit higher at that point. Um, And just a nice little factor, nice little factoid, since 1946, OU leads the series 38 to 35 with three ties. So basically 50-50, which is why this rivalry is so great. Um, I'll skip around here because I've got a ton of notes. Of Texas's 62 wins, a ton of them came in two gigantic periods. So from 1922 to 1947, Texas went 17-3-1. And that includes an 8-1 and one stretch prior to the AP poll. So before the Stone Age of college football, they gobbled up eight wins. And then from 58 to 70, they went 12-1. and one. And that was, of course, during the Darrell Royal era at the tail end of the Bud Wilkinson era. So that's why I think 46 is very – it's a very good time to start because that's when OU started putting themselves on the national map. Texas was coming down from the Dana Bible era and they were in that little lull before Daryl Royal became a thing at Texas. So it's a good place to start. Now, oh boy, this is where you get into wins and losses. In 20-year increments from 46 on, so let's go from 46 to 60 and then 61 to 80, 81 to 2000, 2001 to uh, 2020 being last year, OU has... 80 more wins than Texas. They have 40, about 40 less losses than Texas. And of Oklahoma's 917 wins all time, 74% of them came after 19 from 1946 on, whereas Texas' 923 wins, being higher than OU's all time, 65% of them came from 1946 on. So basically the conclusion is OU and Texas could not be more similar in about every measure you could have like except for of course just raw results of wins losses national championship numbers which of course OU has Uh, but if you just look at it from a completely raw standpoint just kind of like what we were joking about earlier Keegan Texas 
has a much, much higher floor. When Texas has quote-unquote fallen off, their floor is rather high. Now, don't mistake that for the end of the Mac Brown era, the Charlie Strong era, because that was even lower than some of those late 80s Texas teams, those 90s Texas teams that truly fell off. But those teams were winning six, seven, eight games. Like, Mac Brown, what, he won four or five games his final few years? Like, they were terrible. Charlie Strong was bad. So, Texas has the ability to fall off, but when they fall off, it's not as it's not as pronounced as when OU has. OU's had two bad decades since 46. The 60s were bad until the, the late 60s when uh, McKenzie got hired because he brought along Chuck Fairbanks and Barry Switzer, and then that's, you know, we know what happened from there. And the 90s, and we all know what happened during the 90s, OU was truly bad. And I think that that just kind of comes down to what we always say when we're comparing both schools. Texas is able to avoid a terrible, long stretch of awful football because they have the resources and because they can just lazily lazily recruit awesome talent in their backyard because they are Texas. Whereas when OU loses enthusiasm in the program because, let's say, like when Barry Switzer resigned, he resigned under some shame brought some probation to the program therefore enthusiasm and money resources go out of the program they're not recruiting as at a higher at a high enough level because they have to go out of their way into texas to try and out recruit texas and try to out recruit a&m and all these other schools so the floor is lower at ou the floor is a little bit higher at texas just just a smidge but at the same time i feel like you could probably say that the ceiling is higher at OU than it is at Texas just because the success has been sustained in different eras at OU a lot longer under different head coaches, different styles, and with great talent and with talent that is dwarfed by other other elite schools' talent. Like that 2000 team was, you know, it's, it's often documented probably the w- least talented BCS or modern national champion, right, in terms of recruiting rankings. So OU can win in a, a variety of ways, whereas Texas has won because they either have the best talent in the country throughout the 60s or they have Vince Young, and it really comes down to those things. So there, history is done. Welcome back to the show. Okay. So I, th- I think the whenever you look at this, right, and you look at this conversation about which job is better, and I want to get into the whole Big 12 and, and down our list what it would be just off the fly at the end. So I, I want to lay this out. And I, people are like, Keegan, you've been saying this for months now. Since Sarkeesian got hired, you've only been saying that they haven't gone 3-0 since 2012. Texas hasn't gone 3-0 and in a season since 2012. That's a fact. Can't argue that. Texas, in 2012, Brady, I want you to know. I want you to guess. They started 4-0. Guess who their four wins were against? Oh, God, you're going to have to remind me. They beat Wyoming. They beat New Mexico. They went on the road and beat Ole Miss 66-31. to And they went on the road and beat Oklahoma State. That's when. That's the last time they went 3-0 and to start a season. It's not like they have played just juggernauts of, of schedules either. Oh, okay. So we're talking for the, most, for the next five years, right? So Texas hasn't started 3-0 and in a season. Guess who Texas starts with next season, Brady? Just take a wild guess. Arkansas? No, just well, get, not Lu- starts with. Sorry, yeah. guess who's on their schedule next season? Louisiana. Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Monroe. Not 2021, 22. Oh, 22? I have, I have not the faintest clue. Oh, they play Alabama. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So they haven't started three and zero since the season since 2012. Guess who they played? Wait a sec. Guess who they play in 23? They're not a. It's not a return trip. To, they go to oh, Alabama in 23. Okay. So it's Alabama and Austin, right? In Alabama and Austin next okay, year. Okay. So it's nice to see that Alabama's de- deciding to play a true home and home. That's great. Yes. Okay. So what's funny? The best part about this is, it, guess who they start a series with in 24? Michigan. Okay. 25, 26, they go at Ohio State, Ohio State at home. Texas isn't starting 3-0 in a season for the next, maybe if they don't do it this year, Brady, when are they going to do it? When are, like, like that's fine. And then, so you get into the conversation of which job is better. Okay? Yeah. So, one, Oklahoma is more stable. Andy Staples, made, that's his biggest first point, is that Joe Casiglione is the athletic director. That's the most important part of all of this. And Oklahoma- that's, that's the other important thing real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, you're that's good. the other important thing to say is, like, you can do what I do and just go through the entire history. And, but at the same time, none of that history matters because you have the characters and the actors in place right now. So Joe Castiglione, like you said, very, very, very successful and very, very consistent. So what happened in the 60s and the 90s has nothing to do with OU right now, yep. and whereas Texas is they're at a crossroads. Like, this better work, or they're going to continue to be in this twilight flux that they've enjoyed the last decade. So, and then the other part, the biggest part here, right, is recruiting and resources. And clearly Texas will always have an advantage there. One, as everybody knows, they're located in the uh, great country of Texas. They, Texas kids are born there to play at Texas. And at the end of the day, like Texas is always like you say that their their ceiling is is or their floor is higher, right? Over time, well, Oklahoma hasn't won less than eight games since ninety nine since ninety eight, and they've had what oh five oh nine twenty fourteen, and that's it. Texas has won under eight games. Two, three, four, five, and I know technically six times since 2010. I know technically this is why I was so upset the West Virginia game got uh, canceled last year. So I know technically OU won nine games last season, but it was a double-digit win season. Oh yeah, like, it, you view it that way. It was in on paper, but you view it that way. Oh yeah, I know, and I I completely agree. So like I said, you start diving into this topic in this conversation, right? Okay, so Texas has a better recruiting advantage. They have better resources. They probably live in a city that's better to recruit to. Um, but here's the thing, though. Here's, here's on the flip side. of Texas does have all those things. What makes Oklahoma good is that Oklahoma hasn't had those advantages, right? And they, could st- they continue to put up the success. Yeah. So Ari Wasserman goes... Oklahoma has not landed a such-and-such such recruiting class, you know, consistently in a level. Okay, Oklahoma didn't land a top-10 class last year, but 11 of the 16 guys they signed, blue chips. Yeah. That's important. Like, like we're sitting here, you know, off-season fodder, right? And we, I, talk, I touched on it in my post. And, like, Clayton Smith, Billy Bowman, uh, just go down the list, Mario Williams, Caleb Williams, Kelvin Gilliam, Damon Harmon. You know, you go through all these guys, right? Okay, back five years ago, Oklahoma's, those guys are three stars, and you're going, okay, like, we're not sure they're going to develop here. Okay, well, guess what now? Now they're getting guys that are elite talent and they can develop, and Oklahoma's doing that at a much higher level than Texas. And I think the other part of this, too, is, like, you, you want to talk about the difference between OU and Texas. Like, go look at NFL draft picks over the last – you want to talk about development and, like, which job is better? Well, Go is it, well isn't Texas to DBU though? 
Texas has a fair right to it for like a good 15 years, but now they don't. Caden Stearns allegedly ran a 4-4 today. Whenever Flat. someone says that on Twitter, all I think of is that screenshot of CeeDee Lamb surrounded by five Texas defensive backs. <laughs> Knowing how that play ended is beautiful. So, the, again, like where I'm at on this conversation, people would be like, Keegan, you're a big Texas guy. Like, do I think Texas is in a good position to vault themselves in a different a couple tiers in college, in the ranks of college football? Right. Um, yes. Do I think they're heading in that direction? I do. But I'm not going to sit here for the next five years. Like it's not even a conversation. Like not even close. Like look at the recruiting pipelines that Oklahoma's built up. That's another part of this that people aren't discussing. Is that yes, does Oklahoma have to dip into the state of Texas quite a bit? Yes. But at the same time, too, Brady. They're dipping into DMV. They're dipping into St. Louis. They're going to Florida. They went to effing Oregon. I'm not drinking slush funds, so I'm not going to cuss on this podcast. <laughs> they went to Oregon to go get a guy. They got recruiting ground at Bishop Gorman and in 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 Las Vegas and in California. Like, don't get me wrong, but when's the last time, Brady? When is the I can't I can't actually I can't even think of this. When is the last time a guy that wasn't from the state of Texas that's gone down there that you've been like, okay. Well, mm, Casey Thompson by, by, by John Robinson. <laughs> by John no, Robinson? Uh, outside, outside of him. Ricky Williams? Yeah, like there's just not a lot of guys. So Oklahoma has a more national footprint well, at this point as well over the next five it's years. It's important to note like two things, like one background and one what you're just saying. I'll start with yours. Uh, for the off chance that Texas fans listen to this podcast and they've gone this far, apologies that I'm kind of a wise-ass, but again, I'm just an OU fanboy, so, you know, whatever. Uh, but what you're talking about, like OU has a more national pull in terms of the recruiting, whereas Texas doesn't. Well, there's a reason for that. OU has to. Texas doesn't have to. They don't have to go far to get awesome five-star blue chip talent. They don't have to. And in fact, if they if they did consistently, they'd be doing themselves a disservice. The problem with them, especially since 2000, has just been development, which is why like when people like Wasserman say these things, I'm like, I get it. I get the allure of that fifth star, and I get the allure of looking at recruiting classes and equating that with success. But Alabama isn't winning national championships simply because they're getting five stars. They're getting five stars and developing them. How often have we seen schools, programs, coaches, Mac Brown? Like his whole thing was Mr. February. He would get awesome classes and routinely do nothing with them. They would never get better at, during their careers at Texas. And if a lot of them went to the NFL, they went, they went on the pure, just their talent alone. So to me, like development's a big part of it. So that's that one thing. And then going back to what we were talking about with the whole history thing, OU becomes good in 1946. Well, I mean, they cheated, you know, they cheated. They paid a lot of players. So like, I, I get it. Texas fans and anybody else that doesn't root for OU that listens to this podcast. Like I acknowledge, is that, is that, that any different than what's going on right now? No, well, I'm not as well versed in Texas history um, or whatever. I mean, we've had to kind of dive deep into Texas history the last few weeks for very different reasons, but um, I'll acknowledge my bias there. That <laughs> OU does have a well-documented history of paying players, and you know what? Play the game. I wish they played the game now. Oh, what? What's going on? Huh? Yeah, well, Texas truly really is. But Anyways, well, we're well, going. Know, like, people need jobs on staff. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, no, I think it's funny. But I just want to wrap it up with this. You have to. Uh, whenever I talked about Ohio State, so. Like, Texas and Ohio State people are kind of similar, right? Like, very similar. Very, in terms of, like, 
man, if we don't land these recruits, we're not going to be any good. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to recruit well. You have to perform well. Um, so you have to understand, like, that's some of the bias that's out there is that, like, if you're not in the top five or top ten recruiting rankings every year, like, you're trash. You're not, it's not very good. Well, Clemson only landed, like, 14 commitments, like, three years ago, but nine of them were top 100 players. Okay, you're doing okay. Like, yeah. You're going to be just o- fine. OU has less margin for error when it comes to recruiting. Like, sure. they have to identify – not just talent that they know is good now, but like a Danny Stutzman. Like Alex Grinch looks at him and says, I've got a feeling about him because of X, Y, and Z, so let's go after him. Even though like recruiting-wise, it's not going to really move the needle. You just kind of you kind of lean on your coaching, like the, the trust that you have in the coaching staff to make that happen. Whereas it's not going to – like if Danny Stutzman becomes like a Buckus Award winner, it's going to be great for OU. But when we look at, back on recruiting rankings, it's just going to be like, oh, who cares? Because he wasn't a five-star coming out. He wasn't a butt-kiss candidate coming out of high school, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas Texas guys, they're candidates for every award just because of their ranking. And it's not surprising if they're good. But to OU fans, it is rather surprising because, again, there is a history of a lack of development down there. So I, I wanted to finish it up with this. Oklahoma is in a position right now where – over the next five years, they are guaranteed – not guaranteed, right? Not guaranteed. But it looks likely over the next five years they're going to have NFL quarterback play. You go Rattler, Williams, and then Nelson for the next five years. Texas doesn't even have that. Texas doesn't have an, off, an offensive line. Texas consistently doesn't have good enough wide receivers. They don't have power, Keegan. That's the other thing, too. Okay, so <laughs> I, so on, on, on a couple things, the full physical talent, like – Watch the uh, OU Texas game the last two years, so that's getting that point out of there. On the whole, Oklahoma Texas has a more physical football program than Oklahoma right now. I think that that's. Go ahead, I'll let you. I'll, I'll, I'll come um, in afterwards. And then, and then I wanted to finish up with this: is that he did make the comment, and it makes a lot of sense of his thinking of like if you look at it, this conversation from an investor perspective, right? Like Texas is that company that you're like damn, the growth in this company is going to be great. Like, I, if you, if they all get turning the right direction, like, we all could make a ton of money. They're going to the moon, one might say. Exactly, yeah. right? But Oklahoma is that steady, grinding company that if you like your return on investment over time, like, they're the, they're the company you're going to pick with. Yep. So it is a matter of taste. But at the same time, too, Brady, like, at the end of the day, this conversation that, that they had was, a, was not, with Ari Wasserman's point, I just, again, I think there's just a lot of misinformed people about the direction of Oklahoma right now. They are turning into where they have four guys, maybe seven up to seven guys on the defensive line right now that may be NFL draft guys. They've got two NFL linebackers. They've got all – the p- thing that people are talking about with, like, again, when you listen to podcasts like this, what do, what do you and I say about Oklahoma in terms of our outlook? Like, we're a little more worried about what the offense looks like for next fall more than the defense. Yep. Like – that's real. That's reality. And, like, people just have this misinformed, like, misconception of who Oklahoma is at this point. Look at the – look at Amari Obor, Amari Abor and Gabe Dindy are their two big dogs along the defensive line they're going after and probably going to get their top 50 players. They're elite of the elite. Like, I just don't I – th- again, yeah. I think there's just a lot of misinformed people about who Oklahoma is at this point. Yeah, I mean, the whole Texas being the more physical program between the two, I think that is a, a recent, this past decade, byproduct of when OU has gone into the Cotton Bowl, 
they've been heavily favored in a lot of those games, not so much like at the latter po- latter end of the Tom Herman era, uh, but for the most part, into Mac Brown, all of Charlie Strong, the beginning of Tom Herman, OU went into the Cotton Bowl like at least favored by two scores, so like 10 points, nine points, you mm-hmm. know, a lot for a rivalry game. And routinely, like OU won, what, they were seven and three or eight and two this decade against Texas, which is like, that's great. Mm-hmm. But, oh, my God, all those games were like, like they came down to the wire. And so that built-in, like, memory kind of puts the sour taste in the mouth when it, when you're com- of people when you're comparing the two programs of like, well, oh, you're supposed to destroy them because Texas can't even throw the football forward. So why are they either losing to them or beating them by one score? That's a little disappointing. And then you add to the fact that nobody's national, like if you're talking about national people, their perspective on OU is not going to change unless they win a playoff game. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about OU is so much closer to their ceiling. And therefore, there's so there's only so much that you can talk about, critique or whatever. And what they what our criticism is being OU is, yeah, they're good. They win the, they win like this crappy flag football conference, which isn't very flag football-y anymore. And that's kind of the same thing of just narratives that are false. Uh, but then they get to the playoff, and then they get embarrassed. And unless OU wins a playoff game, that's not going to go away. Oh, no. Whereas Texas gets to enjoy that. Well, they didn't have that high of an expectation, but whenever they've been on a big stage, like playing OU or playing in bowl games, they show up because, oh, yeah, because they're more physical, right? Because that's what happens. Like, the more physical team always wins, which isn't always the case. It's not always the case. It's a lazy thing people say. But narratives, like on a broad scale from a national perspective, they are lazy inherently. And so what we're doing is just saying Wasserman doesn't follow OU in Texas every day, so it's it's very understandable why he has this take. Yes, Oklahoma has cut this game with Kansas down to three with three minutes. They've left been down go. three now, like twice, Good and, then, te- and then Kansas will go on a five uh, zero run. So um, we'll see. There's couple three things. and a half minutes left. A Cu- couple things, and I, I'm done with uh, with that conversation. I, I I think we've we established everything. At I'm this sure point. we'll talk about Texas in three weeks when someone else says that they're. Well, great. I was going to ask you about that one. I just quick off the top of your head, 2020, 2021. What's the what's the win ceiling? For Texas, I mean, just kind of going back to what I said about their floor, like their floor should always be like at least an eight-win season right. with their talent. Yeah. And I think that Sarkeesian is putting like the enthusiasm back into the program that Herman enjoyed at the beginning of his tenure and even Charlie Strong enjoyed at the beginning of his tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasts only for a year, but I think they have, like Bajon Robinson I'm in love with, like everybody else that's followed Texas last year. Uh, they have talent on defense. The conference is a gigantic I have no idea outside of a few schools and Texas is one of those like wild card teams that with their talent they can win a few more games than I would give them credit for looking at their schedule it just comes down to QB play if they can get average spread quarterback play which I think is better than than Sam Ellinger spread quarterback version because he's not a spread QB I think they can win eight games Texas has we've discussed this ad nauseum Louisiana at Arkansas and Rice I believe or UTEP very fortunate that Louisiana beat Iowa State last year because they're going to have Texas full attention as a result well, if you look at the numbers Texas is only like a half point favorite right now over Louisiana at home I, I just I don't think lightning's going to strike twice for Louisiana I don't think so either but still um, a tough game and it's still like quite frankly it's a very good game for Sarkeesian to start off with because it will be a very telltale sign of just exactly how serious this hype should be because if they go if they go down there and dominate Louisiana 
And it's like, okay, all right, well, they've got something because we saw what Louisiana was capable of last year. And then if they beat Arkansas, it's like, well, yeah, Arkansas is not very good. They showed some promise last year in a pandemic season, but it's still a Power 5 opponent. And Texas has struggled against Power 5 non-conference opponents the last few years. So a step in the right direction. And that's all this non-conference schedule means. <laughs> they get TCU at, on the road, and we'll get into the we'll – Right get, before we'll, OU. We'll get into a little bit of that um, here in a second. And then uh, the second thing I was going to mention is Perion Winfrey just made a new profile picture. Don't – no, uh-uh, can't look. Guess what it is. This is pretty good. Is it an NFL logo? No, it is a former OU football player. Is it Tommy Harris? No. Gerald McCoy? No. Jordan Phillips? No. Leroy Selman? It's an old picture of Calvin Thibodeau. Oh, wow. Is that not funny? Okay. Oh, that's hilarious. And somehow Calvin Thibodeau is not one of the highest paid coaches on this staff. Remember, we like we were just like, what the hell? Joe John Finley's a uh, higher – oh, we haven't discussed Wait. this on the public pod. Should oh, we? Should I think we? Yeah, I think we should keep uh, that on the. Uh, but I mean, the fact is, I mean, everyone knows it. Like Calvin <laughs> Thibodeau is not. He's one of the lower paid coaches on staff, and I mean the consistency and not only recruiting but developing is certainly there. I also feel bad for Demarco. He's only getting paid like two hundred eighty-five thousand. Anyways, I <laughs> did want to. I, I guess I. It's he's a good, hurting right now. He's late for that stimulus check to hit over the weekend, isn't he? Oh, he is. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I th- it's perfect time to go into what we we're going to talk about next, Brady, and let you go throughout the rest of this podcast because I was a, uh, let's just say, dumbass on Tuesday. Anyways, regardless, your favorite guy, favorite human, signs a, uh, signs a deal oh, contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's He's excited. Back. He never As left. A, he never leaves. That's true. He hasn't <laughs> left. You're right. Um, even even the King went through like a few years of just kind of laying low before he took the Dallas Cowboys job in the mid nineties. Oh, that's a great that's a great topic because Bob Stoops is now an analyst at Fox, and uh, after a year, if Mike McCarthy sucks, he's going to be fired by the Cowboys. I again, I'm I, already going there. I see now if Eddie if Eddie listens to this, that was clickbait. I don't I don't see Bob taking a job like that again. And the reason why is just look at the jobs he's taken since. He's taken jobs that have very little pressure to them, but they're still in the, in, in the sphere that he wants to work in. So, like, like Bob, I'm sure, feels and is definitely young enough to still coach if he so chose so. Um, he's one of the best coaches all around right now. Like, he's one of the best football minds, like, no doubt. Like, that that is not a question to me, but – he took the XFL job because he probably wants – he has the itch to coach still. He has the itch to be out there with, with, you know, 50 to 60 to 70 guys, help them develop, help them on their way to becoming better football players, better people, all those things, the relationships that you build. He want, he had that itch, so he went and did it, but he did it in the XFL where there is no pressure at all to win. You lose all your games, who cares? It's just fun. You're just coaching. You're just you're, It's just fun. You win all your games, cool. Like, you're Bob Stoops. Of course, you should have won them all. But it's the XFL. This isn't the NFL where people – lose their jobs, and then lose their lives, and everything is just terrible. Everyone craps on you all over the place. That, Anyways, course, regardless, Bob Stoops was hired as an analyst by Fox Sports. We haven't even said that yet. Well, no, you, you did. You did. You, you, it, was, it was like one of the first things you said. Yeah. It was, well, then he, take, and then he takes this job, Yeah. which is just, you know, we'll get to if I think Bob's going to be good at this or not. And this, of course, just an opinion, but – um, this is another low stress job. It's just you're you're going on TV and you're hanging out with you know Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn, 
and whoever the dude is who hosts, and you're just talking football. Like, you break it down. Like, you bring some insight to the table, like coach speak or whatever, coach knowledge. But at the end of the day, you're just sitting there talking with, like, some contemporaries about the game of football, and you're, and you're covering players and coaches that you are very familiar with, have relationships with, and you have a lot of great insight towards. So it can be a job where you can – Put a lot of pressure on yourself and succeed, or you don't have to put any pressure on yourself and you still can succeed. So basically, that's just two jobs where the pressure is just not there. So color me shocked if Bob ever took like the Notre Dame job or the Iowa job, if that opened up because it's his alma mater, or an, an NFL job because the pressure with those three entities would just be so damn high. If you're at Iowa, well, you're Bob Stoops. You should be beating Michigan and Ohio State. Well, guess what? I don't know if he would be with the talent that Iowa consistently brings in, so the pressure would mount. Notre Dame, it's that times a zillion. NFL, it's that times a zillion plus one. So I don't foresee Bob doing that. Like, I I get that it's always going to be a name until he's in his, you know, 70s. Like, hey, this job opened up. What about Bob? I just, I don't think so. I think he's, I think he's enjoying retirement, but... He doesn't want to be fully old man. I'm not doing anything but stay home, retired, if that makes sense. So I love it. I think it's from this perspective, Brady, and I I know you you went through all this, but I I love it from the aspect of we've never been able to see Bob pull the curtain behind and hear what he really thinks about football. And I think that could be a healthy thing for him because I think he does hold a lot of this back. Like – you know, you talk about establishing the run or establishing the pass or how you play defense or havoc rate or negative plays or this and that or whatever. Um, are they really not going to foul? Wow, that's really bad. Anyways, that's just in-game coaching. Guy, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways, Bob. Let's waste 18 seconds before you foul. That's a great idea. They, <laughs> they are in a situation at Fox now to where that position is going to be highly sought after, right? I mean, Urban Meyer just got a $10 million deal or $12 million because of it. So uh, He didn't get a job because he was an analyst at Fox. He well, got a job because no. he was Urban Meyer and still relatively young. But was that young. job an interview? I mean, that often that, that gets brought up. Like if you're a coach and you've left a job and you're still highly sought after, but then you go into like – the public sphere of you know analyst on air on broadcast or whatever that it helps your chances of getting another job urban meyer would have got hired even without the fox thing but there's no doubt that being in that position you're still constantly surrounded by people in the know in the business and it's all about it's all about who you know it's all about marketing and so it might have helped but i think urban meyer still would have if he wanted to coach again would have gotten a job if he wasn't there. Hell, if he wasn't at Fox, he might he might be the current head coach at Texas because there wouldn't have been all that public pressure on him to either acknowledge or ignore that his former assistant coach was about to get fired and that he could have very well taken the job. If he was just by himself, it could have been easier for him to potentially ease into that, tra- um, ease into that position as UT's head coach. So it helped him maybe, probably just didn't do anything. Although, like if Bob wants to coach again, he doesn't need to take a Fox job to get it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, you saw the XFL, CFL thing um, merger. That's, that that is rather interesting. Well, that could also help Bob out, right? Because he could do X, he could do the cultural analyst in the fall, and then turn around to do XFL in the spring. Yeah, that could work out perfect for him. So well, that's going to cut off on his golf and Tuscany time, though. Definitely <laughs> golf. <laughs> um, 
I don't know necessarily how much he's traveling. It's definitely going to, this is going to hinder the tequila business. That's for damn oh, sure. Oh, no. Um, poor tequila farmers. So I just, I, I again, I think this is going to be a good thing for him. I think it's going to be a good thing for, for everybody. I, I think getting a guy up there that's not, afri- not afraid to say what he thinks, um, getting a guy that's going to be up there not afraid to say what he thinks is a, is a good thing. And it's a good rep- – I mean, whenever the whole college football commissioner thing was being thrown around, right, like everybody nationally, locally, everybody was like, man, Bob would be great in that role. So he's going to be good. I think he'll be good in this role. I think it'll be – it'll take him some time. We talked about this on Tuesday, right, where there's going to be like some weird moments, like if they get done with a segment and like Bob is supposed to sign him off or something, Brady and like Matt Liner gets done talking and it's like – Oh, well, uh, uh, uh. Oh well, uh, yeah, you know, like one of those things. I, I could definitely, I could see, I could see that happening. So, with that being said, I still, I, I, I kind of opposite of you. I think it's in terms of it working out because I think they're going to make it work out. Because how do I say this? I don't, I, I don't think Bob would put him in a, put himself in a situation to where it can make him look awkward. I think you know, you saw him read after he got done coaching. He read the uh, that the next like the next year in 2017. He read something at the award ceremony at the uh, Home Depot award. It may have been the Jim oh, Thorpe yeah. award. Oh, remember? Yeah. And it just looked really awkward because he was reading from a prompter and he wasn't good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think he would put himself in that situation. Well, that's again. the thing is like, he's going to have to do some homework on this. And like you and I have experience in broadcast journalism, broadcast sports, you know, being, you know, you at one point intern for the franchise, I still work for the franchise. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you've been around other people that have started. You either can do it or you can't. You can, of course, get better at it. But really, if you don't have the personality to like really turn yourself on and then talk into a microphone and broadcast your voice, because the voice I'm using right now on this podcast is not the voice that I use when I'm talking to you off air. It's, it's my I'm trying to sound professional voice. Like there's something to be said about having it and not having it. And like Bob's cadence is just not very conducive to broadcast analysis. Um, I have no doubt that if he finds a good chemistry with Reggie, Matt, Brady Quinn, whoever else is on that panel, um, he'll feel more comfortable and be able to just be a little bit more casual. But I mean, I don't know. Like people keep saying that he's a great personality and, and I have no doubt that he's like awesome in private, but He's never been a fun person. Like he, he'll have a quip or two, but it's never been like must listen radio or must li- like his press conferences were not must listen radio every Monday. Yeah, after he got done, his like every time he's made a public appearance, I've listened to it because it's been he's been awesome. Yeah, but he's also not the head coach at Oklahoma. You know, so we'll see. Well, do you want to get into pro day? You want to? Yeah, we we'll, we can definitely we can dive into pro day first. Yeah, that's uh, is it tomorrow? It is tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Yes, it is. Shows what I know. It's a uh, it's a big day, big day in Norman for uh, for Oklahoma's defensive staff, and it's big for OU because it's it's a first thing in a long line of what I think might be a thing moving forward. No journalists are, are allowed. Oh, I hate I hate no that one. I hate that forum. But hey, but the the stadium's full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> precautions and uh, just do it over Zoom. You know, it's just easier, right? No, my favorite is is that like this sounds really petty of me as a former media guy, but seeing like NFL Network being allowed like TV crew and journalist in there for these things, it's just like <sighs> it's funny, isn't it? It's like 
I mean, the Thunder are going to probably do stuff like this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they sure. even have the excuse that we're, not, we're being super cautious. We're not having any fans in the arena at all this season. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. So, performing at OE's Pro Day will be corner Trey Brown. It will be offensive lineman Adrian Ely. It will be defensive lineman from last year, Dylan Fa-Amatu. It will be offensive lineman Creed Humphrey, defensive lineman Kenneth Mann from 2019, and Trey Norwood, Ronnie Perkins, and Ramondre Stevenson. So I throw this at you first because I think this is important. Mr. Trantham, Oklahoma may be on the verge of landing a top defensive lineman in the NFL draft. When's the... You realized going linebacker, defensive lineman, back-to-back drafts, like that's going to do wonders for Oklahoma. Gabe Dindy, you're getting negative recruited by Bama saying Oklahoma's not sending guys to the NFL draft. Oh, Omari Borg, Ohio State saying that. Oh, okay. Well, we've got Nick Benito who next year is going to be a first-round guy. Oh, Ronnie Perkins is going to end up being a top 40 pick guy. Okay, now we can do that. So that's when, whenever I let off the top with saying this is an important day for Oklahoma, especially defensively, um, that's what I'm talking about. So I, I think that with Pro Day, like you're, and here's another funny thing too. Now there's running back, so they do need a quarterback, right, to throw passes. I believe there's a rule in place that if there's literally no one else that can do it, like Charleston Rambo got to run routes for Jalen, I believe. Yep. Like, if literally no one else can do it, I think Rattler technically, if they wanted to allow him to, could be the guy throwing to Ramondre Stevenson. What about Lincoln Riley? <laughs> well, we saw in the spring ga- spring video or the, the, the uh, snow, snow video. The snow game. Yeah, that, that's not going to go over well. Uh, <laughs> it's a weird release. So I, I do think that those things are going to be interesting aspects of, uh, of, the, of Pro Day. Let me ask you this, though. In terms of guys that can raise their stock, and I know that this is more of my alley than yours, but from your point of view, like I don't see Ronnie Perkins as a guy that can just go up and increase his stock tomorrow. But if Adrian Ely bench presses well, he runs well, has great agility numbers, like I could see Adrian Ely being the biggest riser of this whole thing. Well, does this imply that Trey Brown has a relatively high uh, like? thought of him coming out of the draft in the senior bowl i think this is under the impression of nfl evaluators have already established who trey brown is and he can't really do much to add to that well is it around what i think of him as a player yes okay so i was gonna say well it could be trey brown if they if they think (laughs) i don't think he's that good but if he goes out there and runs like a four three and does all these cool things like he could skyrocket because oh my god he's fast but then you forget that he can't really do much with it he's like Terrence Ferguson Terrence Ferguson's an incredible athlete super gifted he can't apply it to the game of basketball so maybe Trey Brown would tr- prove me wrong anyway I, mean, I probably would say that it's Adrian Ely um, although I mean Trey Norwood he made plays dude and I fall in love with players that can just make plays you know we kind of had this off-air conversation about things that you just can't quantify just the ability to make plays and show up on Saturday or Sunday, whatever you're talking about. Maybe Trey Norwood. I just don't know what he could do measurements-wise, measurables-wise, to do so. It's just going to have to come down to someone falling in love with him. So I, I would probably just say Adrian Ely. I'm, I, I'm, I, I think when we're done with Pro Day tomorrow and we're all I mean, we're texting or whatever about how guys performed, 
we're going to be sitting here talking about Ely's going to test well. Like, his 10-yard split's going to be good. His 40's going to be good. Um, this is a guy that didn't get a lot of praise down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, but the times that he did, like, really, really exciting stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that it's funny that if of guys, and I don't know if we've said this or if I've said this, of guys that left this year, I totally thought it was going to be Marquise Hayes and not Adrian Ely. So I really wasn't necessarily prepared for, like, in the offseason to have to yeah. dig into Ely's tape it's, and see it, what he looks like as an NFL guy. We, we don't remember how, like, not shocked, but we were fairly caught off guard when he announced. And I, I remember, like, the Cotton Bowl post-game show for the Patreon, Patreon page. I was like, we were already talking about 21. I was like, dude, I think the offensive line could be what holds OU back because I'm not 100% sure that they're just going to be, you know, as good as they were this past year, if not better, by losing their two best players at that point. You know, Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely. But then, you know, getting Wani Morris and Kongle certainly help out the depth, and then you just rely on Bedenbo to do his job, which he does more times than not. So hopefully it's – I mean, it would be great. <laughs> it would be great if it's a, a defensive player, but probably going to be an offensive player. Let me get let me get into some numbers here. I'm not I'm not up to speed. I don't have them in front of me. I'm gonna so Trey Brown runs a four three five forty. People are saying he may run the low four threes. I'm gonna say mid. I'm gonna say four four. Four four a little bit slower. He's gonna be in yeah. the four threes for like hundred percent. He'll be in the four threes. I don't know, man. Maybe I just like if he if he goes up there and runs a four three three. And I missed by .02. Like I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Yeah. But if he's if he pops a four three four two nine, like that's gonna put some. He's gonna ch- turn some heads. I think the biggest thing with Trey is that Trey gets to top speed really fast, and for like a forty, like his ten yard split's gonna be nuts. Yeah. Um. So like over his forty, like he's gonna be at top speed at twenty twenty five yards. Like some of these guys like don't get going going until the end and like then it, you're like oh wow he ran it it doesn't look like he ran a 445 but he did yeah um so oh you have to remember this too Oklahoma's times are going to be laser tomorrow so Caden Stearns runs a 44 at Texas what the fuck didn't you don't have to buzz that one out i don't think um probably what? won't 44 44 flat like whenever i watch Caden Stearns on tape i'm thinking like 45 like Take a Does whole not play very fast. No, um, so I think Trey Brown's going to run in the mid four threes. I'm going to have to. I'm going to be. I'm going. You're going to have to hold me to this. No, you don't have to hold me to. It'll be out on Twitter. But you know, two years ago at the combine, I think I missed all four of the five guys that ran at the combine. I think I missed by like a combined point oh three, like not three tenths, but like three hundred. So what did you predict Landry Jones to run? Wasn't around at that time. Wasn't in the game. Wasn't in the game. Um, so let's let's go through this. Adrian Ely, he sh- I would imagine runs like a five one. Like he'll be pretty athletic. You'll you'll be. Su- I think people will be pleasantly surprised at how how, how athletic Adrian Ely is tomorrow. Um, the one I will nail for Creed Humphrey, I bet he does over twenty five bench press. Oh yeah, two twenty five. He's, he's doing that uh, charity thing, right? You yeah. Don't, you don't do that unless you have the full confidence that oh I can at least get X. And then I'm going to say this too. I think Creed's going to do well in the short game agility stuff. Like, I don't know if his 10-yard split will be great, but, like, the three-cone, um, he should have a pretty good three-cone. And then the uh, – I, I know it by pro agility, but it's like an L drill is what, you know, you think of it when you're doing, like, drills for it. 
Um, it's, you know, you go down, come back, go, go, to the, go around the cone. It kind of shows how you can bend as yeah. well. Um, God, the, the Vanessa, dri- Vanessa house did, um, before the pandemic, they would do a combine. And so like <laughs> we do a 40 yard dash, we did the L like whatever that drill is called. And, uh, I remember doing it, uh, the year before the pandemic uh, was on cause the combine fell right around March, April last year. And of course they weren't able to do it. Hopefully they'd be able to do it this year, but I don't oh, know. Oh, I'm, I'm saying these wrong. Like a 10-yard. I'm thinking of a 20-yard shuttle. 20-yard shuttle? Okay. Yeah. Whenever we're talking like... I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, three-cone drill is what I'm talking about where they're bending, where they have to go around cones. 20-yard shuttle is down to one side, down to the other side, back to the middle, 5-5-10. Um, five, five, so, um, no, regardless, I, I think that Creed will do well in the, in the shuttle as well as the um, three-cone drill, and I think he'll test well there. Uh, next in line will be Trey Norwood. I think this is where he's going to get hurt. I don't think his 10-yard split's going to be great. I don't think that he's going to run a good 40 either. Like, Which wh- is weird because, I mean, I guess he got he did get hurt. Yeah. But two, two, what was it, two years ago, he was like one of the fastest players on the team alongside Trey Brown. Mm-hmm. So I think, you ready? 4-5-2? Like, if he runs a sub-4-5, like, Trey Norwood's getting drafted. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think his game take. I think people would be surprised if he ran runs under a four five. That's where I would have him at. So with that being said, I don't expect his uh, like I, Trey Norwood may have a good vertical. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he had a good vertical. He's not going to bench press well. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to do like a shuttle well. I don't think he's going to do a three cone drill well. I again, he's one of those guys like with Parnell, right? We're all like, man, turn on the tape. Well, if you watch the back half of the season, Trey Norwood could play nickel. Or he could play free safety at the next level. Yeah. Um, but then you see his numbers, and you're like, "Are you sure?" Like, yeah. Are it, you again, it's gonna have to come down to someone falling in love with him, probably in free agency, like right after. The right draft after ends. the yeah, I, I think that's where I've got I've got him pegged as an undrafted guy. So um, next up is Ronnie. This is where it gets a little interesting. So he's gonna his his arm length. Right, he's gonna have like I if I threw numbers out at people right now, they'd have to go look him up. So I'm gonna try to do my best to avoid that. But his arms are gonna be really long, like compared to the average. People are gonna be kind of pleasantly surprised. Sam by that, Presti would fall in love with him. Correct. There you go. Yes, um, he's gonna he's gonna have a great ten yard split. I mean, really exceptional um, ten yard split. He should do a, the shuttle well. The one I talked to you about this before I came on, I don't know if he'll do the three-cone drill that well because I don't think, like, when I think of Ronnie Perkins, I don't think a guy that's just bending on the edge, right? Can you opt out of certain drills? You can. Okay. Yeah, but it, it without just, without having the combine and teams being able to work you out, it that's true. puts you in a tough spot. So he will probably – will. I, I would be shocked if people sit out of stuff tomorrow, right? Like, that would, that would surprise me. Um, my 40 for Ronnie – you're going to be surprised by this. You said four seven. I think he can get lower than that. I think four. I think like a four six six is in store. I mean, I was he, the. You have to remember, I was it the, in Lubbock, man. Uh, right, and yeah. I was the only one that said Kenneth would run a sub four five. What did he end up running? I think he ran like a four four six four four eight, like somewhere in that range. That makes sense. I mean, his sideline to sideline speed. Oh, is just stupid! Incredible. Yeah. Stupid. Um, so Ronnie's going to have great arm. He's going to have a. People are going to be talking about his wingspan. Um, people are going to be talking about his explosiveness, 10-yard split, shuttle. Um, and I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised by his speed as well. Where I'm interested is where Ronnie's going to weigh in at. Because he plays at 255, 260. He's got to get up to two. I think 
like his most natural position is a strong side defensive end. Like he's not a guy that I see dropping into coverage in the NFL a lot. Yeah. So if he gets up to 275, 280, like if Ronnie weighs in tomorrow at six two and a half, six three, two hundred and seventy, two hundred and seventy five pounds, I'm feeling pretty good Ronnie's gonna end up being a first rounder late in the drafts. I mean Ronnie's Ronnie's a gamer as well to go sure. along with his physical freakness. Um I mean I just don't know how much higher he can jump. Like maybe someone falls in love with him like right. early in the draft, but I mean I've still thought like maybe end of second round at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a third round pick. And this is somebody like in Ronnie Perkins that I feel like, well, whoever drafts him, like he's going to be maybe not a day one starter, but he'll st- at some point start his rookie year and then basically just play for the rest of his career, however long it is. I said after the season, right, that Ronnie Perkins is going to either leave early this year and be a mid-second round to third round guy and play in the NFL for 10 years, yep. or he was going to come back and be a first round guy and play in the NFL for 10 years. I'm with you. I th- he's he's going to play in the NFL for a long, long time. There's a lot of appetite for people like him as a person as well as the football player right. that comes with it. Cleveland struck out on J.J. Watt. Why don't they just go get uh, Ronnie Perkins? Yeah, I'm interested. It's going to be interesting. I, I will go through, like, draft slots here later. I'm sure around draft getting ramped up to draft time. But um, let's finish up the last guy here, Ramondre Stevenson. I'm I, like, I just, I'm just going to be interested to see if he drops weight so he can run faster. But then it's like, well, that might take away from why somebody falls in love with you in this draft because – you have enough speed playing at the weight that you played at in college because that weight gives you that power and that ability to break tackles, that ability to be a workhorse running back. And if you slim down just to simply run like a 4-5 instead of a 4-6, you might do yourself a disservice while still putting up a better like measurable, if that makes sense. So I'd be interested to see what he weighs in at tomorrow. Guess what, a, guess what number I've heard for 40 thrown at me? Not a 4-4. Four, four. Well, when I say four four, like in the four fours, yes. Like really, I have I've heard that if he shows up tomorrow and runs like a four four eight, like don't be surprised. Is he one of those guys that is just fast at the point of attack, but then like when he gets in the open field, like he's just not a he's not a long strider. His ten yard split's gonna suck. Okay, you, get, you know what I'm saying? Like yep. he's a guy that once he gets going, like he gets going. I'm gonna have Ramondre at a four five four. I think that's fair. Like, well, because the good thing for him is like. Like, look at Seth McGowan this year. <laughs> when he gets in the open field, they can get caught. But the thing Ramondre has is he's very nimble. So he can turn, like, that first big run he popped off against Oklahoma State where he makes, like, three or four moves in the open field that turned a, a probable 30- to 40-yard run into a 50- or 60-yard run because he can make moves at his size. So he's got that going for him, and that's just something that you can't necessarily show in drills. So his, his three-cone drill will be good. His shuttle, I think, will disappoint just a little bit. His stop and go, his suddenness, I don't think in terms of his burst out of a second cut, it's very good. Um, I think he's going to run the four fives. Here's the thing, Brady. This is what worries me, is that he does going to he is going to have to work out. Like, I worry like him dropping passes in that setting, right? Like, does like if. You know, <laughs> he had how many opportunities to catch a ball in, in his time at OU? Not like, a lot. Like, maybe, like under twenty, under well, under fifteen. Well, Lincoln had the confidence. He he uh, made a big catch against Oklahoma State, right? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, they, 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 they lined, lined him up outside. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what we're thinking of when you say like he's got some questionable hands is that ball that was it Oklahoma State or Baylor that mm-hmm. popped off his hands in the red zone? Was it Baylor? Uh. 
at Baylor because I tweeted. I think I tweeted Ramondre Stevenson's hands should at least keep him in Norman for another year. I, I remember that tweet. <laughs> yes, um, but it's it's that one example. Maybe he had another drop at some other point. You know, like like stuff like that. I'm just like it's just bad bounce, and he really wasn't ready. And how many times did we criticize Spencer Rattler for? Uh, not trusting the middle of the field that much, and when he would, he would drill the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, there's something to be said about touch. Yes, for sure. So, no, that's all I that's all I have on the OU Pro Day. You want to get into the uh, Schofield article? Do you want to read it and let's talk about it next well, Thursday? Actually, let's let's save that for either Tuesday or Thursday. Let's end with the uh, home field advantage because we didn't even like we mentioned it on on through the keyhole on Tuesday for our patrons. We just basically mentioned, like, yeah, full capacity at this point, but we didn't actually get, I guess, if we have a take on it. <laughs> I don't know if you necessarily have one or if you're just wanting to ramble about how it's great to finally be hopeful for things again. <laughs> well, I, there was one we could we can get it. This is a thing that we'll get into as we get some more quotes from players on this topic because that's another thing, too. Like, people forget. Like, we, we do are coming up with our own segments. Like, we're going to be getting quotes here in a couple weeks. Um and that'll be good for some good topics to discuss. But I think this will be more of a topic we talk about closer to the season. But I do want to bring it up because it's happening in front of us, right? Like, we have 100% capacity. And I've brought this up. Like, Hudson Card has to go on the road to Arkansas. My God. Uh, the Arkansas fans are going to take that game so personal. Well, that's an old rivalry. It's old yeah, for sure. Rivalry. Um, and they've played, not consistently, but they've played a handful of times since Texas left the Southwest Conference and Arkansas went to the SEC. They've played like three or four times, I think, which is more than OU's played Arkansas. For sure. So with that being said, and this is the this is the heart of this conversation, Brady, is that from an analytical perspective, I think we had home field being worth one and a half points last year. I believe on average is just north of two. And like we're thinking of putting home field advantage being worth three points next year. <laughs> like we think it's going to be that drastic. Like, like I said, like oh, Spitzer Rattler has he. Don't get me wrong. Like he played in a road game last year, right? But at the end of the day, he's going to be playing his first real road game against Kansas State in Manhattan. Like, and I don't. I, I know you've been, probably been to a game up there. That's a good crowd. Like it they're rocking. Yeah, they're they're loud. Like I like Kansas State fans. Like they're sure. a, it's a respectable program and fan base. You just don't respect them, which I understand. They're like they're I don't think their football team's good. Oh, okay. No, I just I mean, they're not. No, we don't need to get into that. I'm just messing with you. There we go all summer. I'm just messing with you. So the the point of this conversation is Texas has to go on the on the road to Arkansas. You've got a new quarterback in Hudson Card. Uh, Alabama, I believe, goes on the, goes on the road to Florida. Now that's not going to be a tough game at all. I'm not saying it is. Sorry, pardon my French. Really French here. Alabama has to go on the road to A and M early in the season. Like you've got Bryce Young, you've got a new offensive line, you've got a new coaching staff, basically, and A and M fans are going to be absolutely ramped up for that game. Like Kyle Field is going to be moving. So yeah, how much? So uh, in your mind, when you look at this and you look at the outcome of the season, at the, at like looking at now, Oklahoma is going to have a hundred percent capacity. Oklahoma State has said the same thing. Yeah. Like, how much is home field going to matter? Because I know the statistics say it doesn't matter as much as we think it does in terms of overall outcomes, wins, and losses. Yeah. But it could it could matter this season alone. I think there's going to be yeah. some extremities. It matters because, like you said, it doesn't necessarily matter that much in terms of the wins or losses. The better team wins no matter if they're playing in front of 100,000 people that don't like them. 
Um, but what it does do is maybe that game is a lot closer, and then at the end of the year when you're splitting hairs between different teams, like, well, all these close wins are, you know, this one close loss. You know, well, this other team doesn't have those close wins. They've got blowout wins because they just happen to not play against very in hostile environments, maybe just the way the ball bounced for them, fortunately. So it plays in that way. I mean, I just have the old school thought, I guess, that if you're good, it doesn't matter. If you if you are truly national title contending, like if we're talking about OU, they should be able to go into Manhattan and, and dominate them. They should be able to go in the Cotton Bowl and dominate Texas. Right, but that like even in that conversation, right? Like, don't get me wrong, but the moment kind of got too big for Rattler, and there was hardly any fans last year in the Cotton Bowl. Now, the same conversation is going to be said for Hudson Card, right? <laughs> I mean, Hudson Card's playing in his I mean, first OU-Texas game as well. Big, the moment got big for him until he was reinserted into the game, and then he was a completely different quarterback, and that was the important Kinda. part is, is how that game we've, ended. We've, As people that are knowing followers of this podcast and our Patreon, you know that he really actually didn't play that much better in the second half. Oh, I mean, he made plays in overtime. Man. Well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just, the, I'm just pointing that. Maybe, out. maybe we're at we're at a disagreement here, but the fourth, the end of the fourth quarter is on Lincoln more so than it's on Spencer. Did Spencer miss some throws? Well, sure. no, yeah, I was more just talking about like we've I've pointed out the plays where he's like forcing a third down throw to Theo Weiss when Drake Stoops is wide open. Yeah, like did he miss throw? Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. He did not play flawlessly by any means. For sure. But That's my biggest concern yeah. though. Is like even look at OU Texas with Oklahoma and Rattler like. Him playing in front of big crowds, like I'm, we don't know how he's going to respond yet. Like we don't know how these young quarterbacks, Sam Howell, right? <laughs> I mean, he played in 2019, but this is a full year removed from this stuff. Like home crowds matter, like to a certain extent, to opposing players. Now Iowa State was kind of a uh, more than 25% capacity for the game up in Ames last year, kind of like Bedlam was for Oklahoma. But I, I just I think it's so interesting, Brady. Like I, I don't know because it's so from a metrics perspective, like right, like Louisiana goes and plays at Texas Week One. The like, numbers say it's like a one-point game, but we don't have home field weighed three points, right? Yeah. Like, like that just completely could skew up everything. Like it, it just could. So I, I think it's interesting. But I'm, I'm with you in terms of let's wait and kind of see what these players say about it because, I also think it's important too, like, like from a basketball baseball perspective. Like they're kind of they doing it from a health way, right? Where they're easing these fans into the games to where like, for example, at my alley, the Cardinals are going to have I believe like 45 percent or 25 percent, whatever it may be. Like it's probably good for these players, right? That we're not just bringing 100% capacity right right back in unless you're the Texas Rangers. You're not bringing 100% capacity right in. Like, there's going to be some shock to that from these players. They're going to have to get more, get some time adjusting back to having fans at games, I think. And I think it's going to be more than what we anticipate. So that's yeah. the heart of the conversation. But I'm just – and that's why I was throwing back at you. Like, in, in the big picture, just where do you think home field is going to weigh this season? Well, I, I – do we even bring up the whole like oh, attendance is dropping across the board? But <laughs> it's not dropping for the elites. Yeah. Like OU still has like what forty thousand people on their waiting list. I'm sure Alabama has even more. Every game uh, this year when Oklahoma's in town will be full. Exactly. So um, attendance is dropping unless you're playing a blue blood, <laughs> basically, and you're not a blue blood consistently. So, I mean, I think it will rear its ugly head. Like if you are a the favored opponent and you're going into a hostile environment, there's going to be some teams that get knocked off. But at the end of the day, like 
on a post-game show where we're talking about OU and then we kind of get into the discussion of what else happened that day, I'll probably just have the the underst- the m- mindset of, well, I guess they just weren't a title contender, and then I'll move on. And I just won't think that much of it. I think, I mean, home field advantage certainly means a lot, but, mm-hmm. I mean, OU, like I look at it from an OU perspective, especially this season, OU should win all their games home away and neutral. And sure. a lot of them they should win by 10-plus points. And a few of them they should win by 20 or 30-plus points. A lot of them they should. Exactly. So if they go into Manhattan and barely squeak by, I guess you can say, well, I mean, that's progress, you know, in terms of the Alex Grinch mm-hmm. here at OU. But I'll still have the, man, what the hell? Like, that's not, that's not a very good – And, and Fort Worth isn't going to be an easy place for Texas, and Texas goes on the road before playing OU. It's been OU. tricky for Texas than it has been OU when they're going to Fort Worth. Have you Worth. been to Fort Worth for a game? Yes. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. I like Fort Worth. Like the Big Fort 12's Worth got sneaky, sneaky good venues. Well, the Big 12 has – like football is ingrained in the Big 12's sure. culture, whereas like the Pac-12 it isn't, the ACC, it, unless you're in the south part of the ACC, sure. it isn't. Big Ten, Big Twelve, SEC—it's all about football, and most of those schools is part of the country. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm bit like, I, I just think it's going to be so fascinating, just because, like, to seeing how some of these young quarterbacks respond, because I, I, I think it is going to be a huge factor. I, th- I think it's going to be a bigger factor than what I would like, because well, one, think of this from a, think of it from an OU perspective. Rattler goes on the road to Manhattan, right? Okay, you get that, you got that adjusted to you. Well. Has Brock Purdy played? I guess they that was a full stadium that night, Norman. I mean, OU gave him that game almost, but right? Like, you have a lot more confidence sitting here that OU's going to have a home field advantage over Iowa State instead of the other way around this yeah, season. Yeah, and if both teams are undefeated or if one of them has one loss or if they both have one loss, basically if that's a top ten game, yeah. like Norman's going to be rocking, but I'm not going to expect Iowa State to be like to cower like – in the presence of the Palace on the Prairie because they've got a bunch of guys that have been there on big stages already. Like, they're now, not going to be... TCU did in 2018, or 17, right? When OU basically just threw haymakers at them all Yeah, first but half. when your quarterback is Kenny Trill... <laughs> That's also and true. You've got, and you're playing Baker Mayfield, Rodney Anderson, Hollywood Brown, and CeeDee Lamb, and they're hitting their fucking stride. Yeah, they were really good. No one's good. I mean... I'm with you on No that. one except Mike Stoops is beating that. <laughs> but that's a, it's just something to think about. No, I, I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure, like I said, we'll get... I will. I will make sure that someone asks about that at some point this spring. Hopefully, it's to Lincoln because I think Lincoln would give a very thoughtful, deep perspective on that. That those are questions he likes to answer. Yep. So there you go. That's all I got for you today. There you go. And that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for the Inside OU podcast. Once again, thank you to Vanessa House. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, What's that new beer? It's the Land Party Lager, and it's very good. You should try it. Yeah, it's very good. Um, they also have an apple cider that's dropping, I think, tomorrow that looks very intriguing. But Vanessa basically has everything. And next week is Keegan's least favorite holiday, St. Patrick's Day. Um, they're huh. going to do their Hexo Cooler, their green slush beer. It's really good. It was popular when it was here a few months ago. But it's green, so we might as well bring it back for St. Patrick's Day. So uh, come on down to Vanessa's house if you want some good beer, some good time. You know, we'll be here every Thursday, so if you want to come say hi to us, we will say hi to you. And, you know, we'll probably hand you the mic and just let you give a take or whatever. No, well, but yes. But just don't spit in it is all I ask. I am still three weeks away from my second vaccine, so. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. vaccinated. Yep. Left arm. So you've got the 
governments can be in control of you soon? Yeah, they are. Uh, they're slowly understanding how boring I am. What kind of am. antibodies did you get? Oh, I mean, I just got the Pfizer one. Oh, I was just wondering, like, what chips you got. Oh, I mean, I'll probably have some Doritos tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. No, the government is slowly finding out. Well how done, the state of Oklahoma. Keep it up, people. Yes. Do what you need to do. We're opening up tomorrow, but do what you need to do. Let's get through this shit. Oh yeah, be smart so that we can have a fun Fourth of July, fun yes. summer, and then we can all look yes. forward to tailgating and football season yes. and everything that we know and love. But uh, for Keegan Renault, this is Brady Trantham. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU Podcast. Once again, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon page uh, at www.patreon.com forward slash through the keyhole. We also have a new Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash keyhole pod. Go ahead and like and subscribe that if you would like for more info on content. And of course, we already cracked 100 uh, ratings and reviews, but we'd like some more always helps out the podcast so go ahead and do that on apple Podcasts if you have not done so we would greatly appreciate it but from everybody here at vanessa uh, keegan and myself brady trantham thank you all so much boomer sooner and we'll talk to you next time